Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable. Oh, God, speak through me or in spite of me. Whatever, God, just speak, we ask. In your name we pray. Amen. So for the next couple of weeks, we are reading mail, right? We're over reading a letter from a guy named Paul. Wasn't written to us. Um, it wasn't directly written for us, although we can get a lot from it. But we're over reading somebody else's mail. A guy named Paul, who was about as privileged of, uh, of a person as you could be in the Roman Empire. He was uh, a Jew among Jews. He went to the Harvard Jewish school, whatever that might have been back in the day. He was the best educated. He was well healed. He grew up in Tarsus, which is in modern day Turkey, which would be the Roman Empire. Um, he knew Greek and he was a Roman citizen. Most of the Jewish people of the day were not. But his father somehow, some way, greased enough palms where he was even a, a Roman citizen. And at first, Paul was the... Hey, if you're a Bible nerd today, you're going to love this sermon. If not, just hold on. Hang in there for a second. Let me just... And a little bit of geography, give you a little bit of history... Because we're reading this mail this Sunday and next Sunday. And if you know the backdrop of it, I think it'll really help you, help us all get a little bit more out of it than we would have gotten it had we, had we not kind of the, the background information. But Paul was a big deal. Um, Paul did not think that he was writing scripture when he wrote to these churches like Corinth, like the, like the opening lines that, that Kelly read for us. He didn't know he was writing scripture. Um, he was simply responding to the needs of each of these churches. Paul, as you remember, first started out as a persecutor of the church. He hated Christians. He couldn't believe that some of his Jewish friends were falling in love with this Messiah called Jesus. And he would set out to persecute, round them up. He sort of aided and abetted in the stoning of Stephen. Um, he held their coats while they killed, uh, made a martyr out of Stephen. And yet one day he was knocked off his horse, blinded by the light. And the risen Christ came before him and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And I won't go into much more, but uh, he was converted. And, you know, nobody likes a convert, right? He was so serious about this new Christian faith. <laughs> about this Jesus that he had fallen in love with, who forgave him for some of the worst things he could have ever done, who knocked him off his horse and got him on a, uh, on a mission to be an apostle, to share the good news to even the Gentiles, the dirty people, not, just, not the Jews, but the Gentiles, that would be us, all the people who were not Jewish. Well, all roads lead to Rome, as you remember from your history classes. And he traveled. He spent all of his time starting churches. Um, if, if, if you want to know the story behind his, uh, what the Bible says, what, what Acts says about his starting this church in Corinth, this letter, you go to Acts 
Um, 18. I'm going to read a little bit of that for you just to give you a little bit more back, backdrop here. Acts 16. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Here we go. Acts. It's Acts 18. It says this. Um, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he found a Jew named Aquila and a native, a native of Pontus who had recently come to Italy with his wife Priscilla. Aquila and Priscilla. Because Claudius, a ruler, had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went over to see them and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and they worked together by trade. They were tent makers. So Paul had another job besides this evangelism job. He's going all over the place. Um, every Sabbath, he would argue in the synagogue and would try to convince Jews and Greeks. Paul always went to the synagogue at first to build his church and to preach the good news of Jesus. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with proclaiming the word, testifying to the Jews that the Messiah was Jesus. When they opposed him, and reviled him in protest, he shook the dust from his clothes and said to them, Your blood be on your own hands. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then he left the synagogue and went to the house of a man named Titius, uh, Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the official of the synagogue, became a believer of the Lord. Together with all his household and many of the Korean, uh, Corinthians who heard Paul became believers and were baptized. One night, the Lord had Paul, said to Paul in a vision. I'm going to stop right there. This is verse 9, if you're reading along. Um, uh, Cor Corinth, and I'm going to share with you, was just a pretty terrible town in some ways. Uh, it was a corrupt... Uh, it was... Uh, I mean, I almost said New Orleans, but that would be... I like New Orleans, so it's, I wouldn't let me like that. But I could imagine that it kind of smelled like the French quarters, you know. And so there was a lot going on. And I'm sure Paul thought, why does God have me here among all these despicable, icky people, you know? And here's what God says to him in verse 9. Do not be afraid, Paul, but speak and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will lay a hand on you to harm you. For there are many in this city who are my people. He stayed there a year and six months, 18 months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Galileo was preconsul of Achaia, uh, the Jews uh, made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal. They said, this man is persuading people to worship God in ways that are contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of crime or serious villainy, I would be justified in accepting the com complaint of you Jews. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names of your own law, see to it yourselves. I do not wish to be judged of these matters. Sounds like Pontius Pilate, doesn't it? And he dismissed them from the tribunal. Then all of them seized Sosthenes the official of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. Remember Sosthenes? Kelly read that. Remember Kelly? It was Paul and Sosthenes. So there's Sosthenes, and he was beaten. After staying there for a considerable time, Paul said farewell to the believers and sailed for Syria. 
accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. At Kincray, he had his hair cut. He got a haircut, it says, for he was under a vow. When they reached Ephesus, he left from there. But first he himself went into the synagogue and had a discussion with the Jews. When they asked him to stay longer, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. Then he set sail for Ephesus. So that's Paul. Paul was educated. He was privileged. He could, could talk to the Romans, talk to the Greeks. He was very talented. And he was a Jew among Jews. Um, and yet Paul found himself there in the most corrupt city you could imagine. And yet somehow in some way, as he preached in that little house, there managed to be about 80 to 100 people who started the first church in Corinth. Now Corinth had about 100,000 people who lived in it. And imagine a church smaller than St. Luke in Corinth. And that's it in Corinth. Can you imagine how hard it might have been for them to be Christian? For them to follow Jesus, for them to be the church, wasn't a big church. So Paul is in Ephesus. Um, and then all of a sudden he gets word that there are some awful things going on at the church. There are some awful things. Now, this was AD 51. Have you ever heard somebody say, Man, I so wish we could get back to when the church, everybody loved each other and got along? I'm here to tell you that church has never existed. That's called Unicorn United Methodist Church. Good luck finding that. These people were broken. They were trying as hard as they could to figure out how to, how to turn their back on their old life and live a new life. And yet they were doing it in Corinth. And only two years passed. Big shot Paul starts this church. And only two years, two years had gone by and a church smaller than this church, and they were all at each other's throats. Imagine, imagine that. Corinth, background for you historical nerds. I'm glad that Hunter's, I wish Hunter was here, and I'm kind of glad he's not because he's a better historian than I. He can do a better job of this. But Corinth was a Greek city that was sacked by Rome in B.C. 146, and for 100 years it just lay desolate, Okay. And then in 46 B.C., Julius Caesar thought, I'm going to remake that city because it was a very important port city. He rededicated and rebuilt the city. And guess what? People started moving back. Veteran soldiers who had retired, who were loyal to Julius Caesar, got land there. So they started coming. Ships were going back and forth across this narrow isthmus uh, a little bit of slither of land. There was one part of Corinth that was about four miles long. And it was, it was, it was sort of like sailors would go and they, would, they, would, they had a track and they would put your boat and your merchandise on a track and people would drag your boat across to the other side and it would save you about 400 miles of sailing. Corinth is in what is now southern Greece. And so it, what it avoided was it was kind of like the Panama Canal of the day, right? Because it saved you so many miles and it was so dangerous to sail your boat south of Greece in that sea that the sailors would say, 
if you sell that, you better have your will in order because you're not going to survive it. So, so the, can you imagine that, that that city began to attract merchants, people taking stuff to Italy and to Sicily, going to the West, Roman citizens, the Greeks started coming back, immigrants started coming back, and then the, the Jews who were being kicked out of places like Rome and other areas, they were resettling there. Archaeologists about 50 years ago found the synagogue that Paul preached in. This was like, uh, this was a, a, a quite, quite a great city. Not far from it is Athens. But Corinth was five times the population of Athens, a lot bigger than Athens. There, were, there was a forum there where sophists and philosophers could debate. There were shops, markets. There was what they call a Bama seat, which was a place where the proconsul, uh, where they dragged Paul and poor Sosthenes when they were putting, uh, holding court. And this group in, from the judgment seat would, would commend people in the area. If you did something for Caesar, they would give you a medal. But they would also condemn. It was like the Supreme Court of, of Corinth. And they would, uh, they would observe. Lots of, lots of amazing um, people. Paul later on in 1 Corinthians 9 talks about the judgment seat of Christ. And really what he's saying is, is that that's the Bama seat. That's... The people in Corinth could understand that, that now we who have given our life to God have have we're accountable to one person, Jesus, the Christ. It was a great amphitheater there. It was a gateway to Italy and uh, it was the center of trade. Big time wealth. They were competitive, lots of money. If you were enslaved, you could go to Corinth and you could make so much money, probably dragging those boats across the four-mile thing, that you could actually win your freedom there. So a lot of people. Imagine, imagine the crowds. Imagine like New York City walking around and hearing different languages and all that. That is what Corinth was. And yet it was also super religious, super Religious. They had a God for every need. Apollo, you like Apollo? You go over that temple right over there. Aphrodite, hey, you need that? Right over there, right over there. Um, Esquapian, uh, if you're looking for health and healing, that's the God of health and healing. There was a shrine on every corner and a God to meet any need you had. Pleasure, power, health, hope. That was Corinth. You could imagine, too, that sailors and travelers and tourists and merchants, maybe that's why there was a lot of Las Vegas in it, right? What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, right? People leave their manners at home and they do anything they want to in Corinth. Corinth is a place where you could, you could have anything you want. And in that city in A.D. 51, because Paul came through there, about 100 people let that life go and turn their life to Christ and lived in another direction. In another direction. God, okay, I'm going to preach a little bit more next week about factions and divisions and all that because that's the next thing, that's the first thing Paul says. 
Wasn't that beautiful what Kelly wrote? It's just like this beautiful, all this wonderful stuff. Well, he's saying that before he chews them out. I mean, he's going to tear into them starting next week for a lot of drama. But here's, here's where this hits home to St. Luke's, I think, and to you and to me and those of us who are doing the best they can in a crazy world, trying to be faithful, right? God takes imperfect people from far from perfect backgrounds to do God's work. God pulls people from all kinds of paths. And most of the time, many times, they're the least likely people you think God would choose. You and me. Now, moving from the new life from the old life is not easy. I'm still trying to figure it out. You may be too. This is a lifelong pursuit. What does it mean to love God with all my heart? To love you? For us to love each other? Man, that's hard. Because we all come from different places. We've all got different experiences. Somebody told me today, and I love this line, and I hope it's true, and it's what I aspire to. She told me, she said, you know what I love about St. Luke's? I said, what? She said, what I love about St. Luke's is that I worship Jesus right beside people that I would never dare watch the evening news with. Because what divides us is not nearly as important as what unites us. We can chase all kinds of glittery things in our life. We can give our identity to some really good things. Paul says, forget about all that. Let it go. Focus on me is what Paul says. Jesus, focus on Jesus is what Paul says. Focus on Jesus. We're all in an imperfect community. We'll never be perfect. But we're striving to be more loving and to be more patient. And Paul calls us to the greater good do y'all know the definition of a dysfunctional family? It's a family in which there's more than one member. Congratulations. You're part of a dysfunctional family. And yet in our brokenness and in our, dare I say it, sin, we need each other. Because we know that the world is in constant Need of exposure to unconditional grace. And it is so hard to find. And yeah, I'm not, that's, that's, that's right where you need it. Because it, it is so hard to find and it's sad. And church, if we're not working toward that. Of being together and loving each other. And learning what it means to love one another. Learning what it means to listen. It's hard work because we can be the superficial church seven days a week. We can pretend like everything's okay and we can pretend I can say how are you, but if I don't have the guts to stay there and listen to what you're going through, what good are we doing? And yet, and yet, the miracle of what it means when we all learn how to love each other and call each other by name and we help build each other up and when we break bread together, awesome things happen. Awesome things happen. This church at Corinth, 
not have the Bible. Can you believe that? They did not have a Bible. This is A.D. 51. They didn't have a Bible in the church until 381. And guess what? When they got it in 381, nobody knew how to read it. All they knew was to trust Jesus Christ. So, Here's the way I'm ending here. And we'll talk, about, we'll talk about divisions and stuff next week. And I look forward to that. And I look forward to that. But let's just look one more time back in the greeting. Because it's always good to go right back to the basics. But if you look at Corinthians. If you look at Corinthians. Paul says we got three things. In St. Luke's, we still have those three things. Here's what we got. Paul says to the church of God in Corinth. Called by Jesus Christ. We still got our calling. Every single one of us has our calling. Not just me and Brandon and Grady who were ordained. You got a calling too. And you got to remember that Jesus Christ called your name and pulled you into this. This is God's idea of a good time. It wasn't the church of Corinth. It was the church of God. This is not my church. This is God's church. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ calls us by name by the lakeshore. I don't know about Brandon and I don't know about Grady, but in this business, I mean, you almost think about quitting about once a month, you know, right? You're like, oh, I just can't do this. I can't do this. And the times that I've really been most ready to drop it all is when I forgot that God called me into this. And this is not my idea. This is not my business. This is God's business. You, too, by your baptism, have been called by Jesus Christ. It's not your business. It's God's business. It's not your life. It's Jesus Christ's life. And you're called to carry that love because you've been named and claimed, called. Paul says this, second thing. You have been enriched in every way, in gift and in speech. You have been enriched. I don't know how tempting it is to you. But it's always tempting to me to look around this church and see what we don't have. Man, we need that. Look at that. Look at this. We don't have. Boy, we could. We would really be a great church if we had this. Right? That is scarcity thinking. And Paul says, I think to us too, St. Luke's, you're rich. Look around. You've got the gifts that nobody can take away. The gift of speech. The gifts that you bring to this place. We are an embarrassment of riches. What if we thought about it that way? What kind of thoughts and dreams and mission and things that we do would come our way? You are funded. My grace, says Paul, is sufficient for you and for me and for us. Finally, finally, you are partnered. We are partnered. We walk with Christ. Christ is with us. We don't have to, we don't go this thing alone. We don't do this alone. We have got, um, we've, we've, we've got a partner. Y'all, um, two nights ago, Jen and I went on our birthday to Bravo with Eddie and Audra Rester. Eddie is the pastor at Christ UMC, and he's been, they've been our best friends ever since our seminary days. And Eddie turned 52 on January 11th. So we got him a deck of cards 
said, you're finally playing with the full deck of cards, Eddie. So we gave him a deck of cards, got a card, you know. But then at Bravo, like, Eddie and Audrey didn't bring me a gift. But that's all right. So then the next day, I'm doing something, walking the dog or something. I get back, and there is a bag that looks like it's a little gift. And I open it up, and it's a card from Eddie and Audra. And, it's a, and um, they put in the bag the raincoat I left at their house. And we said, happy birthday, Bruce. We hope you like it. We hope it fits. <laughs> We got all we need. Paul says, and God says, you got everything you need to be who God has called you to be in this world. You're not lacking in a thing. You've got more than you think. So quit thinking you don't have enough. You are enough in Christ Jesus. So, how are we going to do it, church? How are we going to remember that we're called, that we're funded, and we're partnered? How are we going to remember together that not a one of us is perfect and never will be? How will we remember that the object of the church is not to be perfect? Who wants to go to a perfect church anyway? I don't. Somebody said, I don't go to church anymore, you know. Only hypocrites go to church. And I told her, I said, we're full of them and there's room for one more. You're invited. 1030. And this is not about perfect. This is about love. This is about Jesus Christ, the greatest gift given to you and to me. We have not been orphaned and left alone. This is about you remember that God has called you by name, has given you everything you need, and that Jesus is partnered with you. And lo, he says, I will be with you to the end of the age. That's what church is. That's who we are. So... Remember your name. Let us pray. Dear God, thank you for struggling congregations like Corinth. Lord, we are a mess today, just like Corinth was, and yet you love us. You call us to look out for one another and to love each other. You call us to remember our name. We thank you, God, for the blessings you poured down on this church, for we have more than we need. Thank you most of all that you partnered us and you will never, ever leave us alone. May we live like we believe. In your name we pray. Amen. I invite us now to stand and sing our closing hymn. It is uh, 399, Take My Life and Let It Be. Let us stand.